And all of God's people say, thank you, Lord. I know the Smiths are watching live from London, so I want to thank them for allowing us to use this story. Thank you. I'm also delighted wherever I'm preaching in London, they always show up. I'm so grateful for their encouragement, whether it be at the Palladium Theater or it be at Kensington Temple or All Souls, wherever I go, I run into the Smith, and I'm so grateful for their encouragement through the years, and we hope that we offer some encouragement. And I hope that you realize the importance of this home groups and small groups and TJ and the team, and they're working very hard to make sure that no one can stand alone or or be alone in, in the walk with Christ. We all need each other. Father, I want to repeat the words of the song. Here's our hearts, here's our lives. Speak. You only speak truth. And so speak to us today. Lord, if we came to hear a man, we will be most disappointed. But because we came to hear you, we will go out rejoicing. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace. One word, grace. That ignited a worldwide revolution five hundred years ago next month. And by the way, we will be celebrating all of October, and we have some great theologians and Reformed teachers like Dr. Albert Moller from Southern Seminary and and R.T. Kendall and Eric Metaxas. They're going to be here in October to help us celebrate the Reformation, 500 years anniversary of the Reformation. Amen. Thank you, God. This revolution brought about, well, not everybody, of course, acknowledges that, but it's the absolute truth. It brought about Western civilization. I have proved it in a paper when I was at Emory University many years ago. It not only brought about Western civilization, but today Western civilization rests upon the Reformation. And that is why so many people want to change and destroy this civilization that was based on that word grace. You see, I know and you know that that word grace has been used and abused. Uh, it, grace is, is a word that sometimes banded about uh, without proper understanding. Grace has become a word that is used to mean whatever uh, the person wants it to mean. Grace is used to justify uh, the lack of spiritual discipline and lack of, uh, lack of uh, spiritual aware alertness. And they say, well, grace will take care of that. We don't need to worry about it. Grace will take care of that. And I always think of the words of Charles Spurgeon, that the grace that does not transform a life is not the grace of Jesus. There are others 
who use grace as a biblical license for all sorts of immorality. Uh, others still insist that we have to earn grace. Now, that one I don't understand. <laughs> it baffles me. But in many legalistic churches, they say, you've got to earn grace. And yet still others have rejected grace altogether as unfair. They call it a scandalous favoritism on the part of God. Now, today I'm starting a whole new series of messages uh, entitled, Fear Deceives, But Grace Frees, or Set You Free. Now, the object lesson in this series of messages is no other than Jacob. Jacob, a man who was renamed by God's grace and called Israel. It's the same person. To my knowledge, I just want to be safe, to my knowledge, it's the only time that God called an entire race of people by a man's name. The people of Israel. The people of Jacob. Please hear me right on this. Very important. This series of messages is going to be challenging to every one of us, but it's going to be comforting all at the same time. And the story begins with a tale of four people. Isaac, Abraham's son, who was a son of promise. Isaac was a miracle son of Abraham and Sarah at their old age. Is a son of promise. And Rebekah, his distant cousin, wife, supernaturally, in a miraculous way, God provided her. And again, the story is long to go through it right now. Here's the problem. Husband and wife, God brought together Isaac and Rebekah. One favored one son, and the other favored the other. Now, beloved, this is a mistake that some parents make. Listen carefully. Thank God, not many parents, but some parents do. I need to say something important right up front here, because I don't want you to think, whoa, this is going to be a, a series of some lectures on parenting. No, 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 no. Uh, 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 let, me, let me confess up front. As a father, I know I've made many mistakes in my parenting capacity as a father. Some of these mistakes are the subject of my adult children's joking and making fun of me. And, and uh, you know, I'm kind of, that's okay. I, I, I think it's, it's a good to have lighthearted humor. But there are some mistakes in my parenting capacity that only be known to me and the Lord. Beloved, the longer I walk with the Lord, now 52 years, the more I am conscious of my own weaknesses, of my own shortcomings, of my own failures. And the deeper I walk with Christ, the more conscious I am. See, that is why I am not only thankful and grateful to the grace of God, but I am deeply committed to never, never take the grace of God for granted. Let me help some young parents learn from my mistakes. I'm not going to tell you all of them. 
Just the ones you need to hear. I learned, for example, that shouting and yelling at kids will no more cause them to obey than beeping the horn of the car. You will get about the same results. <laughs> I also learned that parenting is really like twirling um, a baton. You know, you see some of the majorettes twirl the baton. You know, it's, that, that's like parenting. I mean, or, or, or I used to go to Asia a lot in my earlier ministry, and, 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 and people eat with, 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 uh, with, uh, with chopsticks. And you see it, and I say, man, that's easy until you start doing it. In fact, they both look easy until you start doing it. And then you realize, I think my wife would tell you from that dating time and the three years before we had children, I was an expert on bringing up kids. <laughs> I really was. I was the youngest in my family, and I babysat all of my older siblings' kids, and I thought, man, I know all about this. I confuse babysitting with parenting. <laughs> Don't ever make that mistake. Because once we start having children, all my expertise went out the window. Now, some of you might look at our uh, four wonderful children. and say, well, they turned out all right, didn't they? Yes. Two reasons. The grace of God and the very, very wise mother. <laughs> and so, in this first in the series of messages, Fear deceives, but grace sets you free. We will see how the grace of our loving God overwhelmed and overruled failures every time. You'll see it in their life. You'll see it in your life. And I hope that this is going to bring us memories of the overwhelming and overruling grace of God in your past so that you can rejoice in thanksgiving for His grace. You will see how the grace of our Lord overrules and overruled even the most blatant and personal sin and failure. Amen? Here's a word for the young and the old alike. It doesn't matter what age you are. This is a word to everybody. Today, if you allow the grace of God to flow through you, regardless of the pain uh, that you have experienced growing up, uh, regardless of the abuse that you might have experienced in your past, in your earlier days, regardless of the hurt feelings that some of you might be still carrying to this day, you can learn afresh at any age. It doesn't matter what, how old you are. You can learn afresh at any age how to cherish and to revel in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ instead of wallowing in your pain and guilt. Amen? Let's begin at the beginning. Isaac was a miracle son of Abraham and Sarah's old age. Isaac was a miracle baby. At the age of 37, again, through the God's uh, intervention and a prayer by uh, 
Eliezer the Damascus, which was the chief of staff of Abraham's business, God brings about this distant cousin, Rebekah, to be married to Isaac. Rebekah, like her mother-in-law, Sarah, was barren. And so Isaac begins to intercede on her behalf, and he began to intercede on his own behalf. And they began to cry to God, and God answered their prayers, even a little bit late in life. But nonetheless, he gave them twin boys. But the turmoil between those two boys began in the womb, started in Rebekah's womb. Two boys were born, Isaac and Jacob. And they came out of the womb fighting. As we'll see throughout the series of messages, how the grace of God overruled in all four lives, it is more magnified, and we'll focus more on Jacob, but the grace of God overruled in all of their lives, all four of them. You'll see how the grace of God brought good and a blessing out of scheming and deceiving and treacherous treachery. You see, when Rebecca experienced the turmoil inside of her, inside of her womb, God graciously, graciously, that's the gracious God we have, graciously gave her a divine revelation. God revealed to Rebecca what is really happening inside of her womb. Now I want you, if you haven't already turned to Genesis chapter 25, I want you to look at verse 23. That's page 38 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have your own Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to underline. I'm going to ask you to underline some things here. Which just one sentence, very important. The Lord said to Rebecca, two nations in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, that's what I want you to underline. The older will serve the younger. This is very important. If you read it and say, well, you know, that's just God's will and God's plan, but this is some, there's something deeper than that. The older will serve the younger. Why did I say you underline it and highlight it if you're doing your, in your iPad or iPhone? Because this fighting between the twin boys, Jacob and Esau, is more than just sibling rivalry, which happens at the best of families. Right? Why? Because here, the sovereign grace of God reverses the cultural norm. The cultural norm at the time is the older boy, the older sibling, rules over his younger siblings. Uh, even today, I think, if uh, we're honest, uh, some of the older kids like to boss their younger kids around, younger brothers and sisters around, right? I grew up in that kind of a family, and I got bossed around by six siblings. But please listen, because I know, and you know, that sibling rivalry 
is as old as creation. It really is. And it is always, always associated with a prideful heart, always, always associated with a sinful heart. You see it in the life of Cain and Abel. You see it in the life of Noah's uh, children, Noah's sons. And you see it between Ishmael and Isaac. And you see it uh, in Joseph and his brothers. Even today, if a mom would come in the room and the kids messed it up royally, and she will open the door and says, who did this? All the fingers fly in different directions. Never point it to oneself. <laughs> and that is why when the grace of God, listen to me, when the grace of God is ruling in a family, when the grace of God is operating in a family, there is always always confession, and always forgiveness, and always restoration in the family. Amen? And when the time came for Rebecca to deliver the twin boys, you find that not only they were not identical twins, not only they looked so different like day and night, but they came out fighting. Uh, Esau came out first, but Jacob, Jacob was not going to be outdone. He came out grabbing of his heel I mean, immediately. It wasn't even a, not a second between them. Beloved, as I said, this is not mere sibling rivalry. The power struggle between those two boys continued for a long time, and I dare say continues to this day. Only Jesus can change lives. Have you heard of Palestinians and Israelis? Have you heard of them? And you heard from Brother Huri last weekend, if you were here, how, in fact, the way I met Huri and his dad and that particular ministry was through a Messianic rabbi in Jerusalem, a dear friend of mine. <laughs> you see, they worship together, Israelis and Palestinians, Christians who love Jesus. They worship together. They love each other. They support each other. They actually promote each other's ministry. Jesus Christ can melt any wall of enmity that there is, no matter how bad it may look. Amen. Question. Where did Isaac and Rebekah fail in their parenting responsibility? Listen carefully. Before I answer this question, I want to hasten to say that it was Isaac and Rebekah's parental failure that exacerbated the tension between Isaac, between Esau and Jacob. I know some of you are saying, Michael, Michael, are you sure that, 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 that both parents uh, sinned in the same way? Is, didn't, didn't Isaac sin a little bit more than Rebecca? I know, I know, I know. People have said that. Listen to me. Sin is sin. Whether it's a big sin or a small sin, sin is sin. Let me tell you why. Listen carefully. They did not feed their children on the Word of God. You say, how come, Michael? If you look at verse 23 of chapter 25, book of Genesis, 
you see that Isaac and Rebekah both were aware of God's revelation to Rebekah. Uh, Isaac and Rebekah were aware of God's supernatural intervention in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah understood that Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac and Rebekah understood that it is through Isaac the Messiah will come. Why did they not teach and explain and train both boys regarding God's revelation to Rebekah? Regarding God's will for their life, regarding God's plan for their life. Why did they not teach Esau that God said the Messiah is going to come through Jacob? Why did they not teach both boys uh, about the promise of God and the faithfulness of God and that, that, that he kept uh, with grandpa and grandma Abraham and Sarah? Why didn't they train Jacob to be prepared for his role and to wait for God's timing? Why didn't they uh, uh, teach them both that God has different plan for each of them, and they need to know it, to obey it, and revel in it, and rejoice in it? Please don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. I know this is… Uh, somebody sitting here who says, well, you know, what about me? No, no. This is a special revelation does not apply to any of us. This was a very special revelation was given to Rebecca for, for those two boys, okay? So don't get yourself under a whole lot of false guilt. <laughs> please, please, I want to make sure of that. The only application for all of us is this. It is never too late to tell our children about the love of God about and the importance of honoring God in their life, to believe in the promises of God, and yes, to believe in the timing of God. But nonetheless, none of us can be placed in the category of this special revelation that is given to this special family. I just want to be sure, um, because I know and I've met through the years, a lot of parents have a lot of guilt, and I don't want to add to it, especially when parents have come to the Lord late in life, and they did not have the chance to train their children because they did not know the Lord when the kids were small, young. Do not fill your mind with condemnation and, and guilt. Remember this. Satan will heap guilt on you, but God says, trust in my sovereign timing, and pray for your children. Can I get an amen? amen? There's something else here I really need to say at this kind of opening introduction. Well, I don't mean introduction of this message, introduction to series. Because some of you are sitting looking at watch and said, ooh. <laughs> Even among the godliest of families. Are you listening? Even among the godliest of families, tension and conflict happen. I don't care how godly your family is, tension and conflict happen because we're still living in this flesh. We're not in heaven yet. We don't have the glorified body. It is how you deal with that tension. It's how you deal with that conflict that really matters. 
In the case of Isaac and Rebekah, instead of training their children to know and trust God's revelation and God's will and God's plan, they chose instead to follow their own emotions, their own feelings, and their own preferences. So one loved one, the other loved the other. Isaac favored this rugged individualist in Esau, that redneck. Actually, that's where redneck came from. Did you know that? It really did. <clears throat> that's his name. The word Edom in Hebrew means red. And that's why they never referred to him as the Esauites. <laughs> they referred to him as the Edomites. They're the descendants of Esau. Esau was a guy with a ruddy complexion. And the sun and the outdoor turned his red skin into leathery appearance. Esau was the kind of guy that drove a pickup truck. <laughs> and he had a gun on the rack of his big pickup truck. He's the kind of guy who had tattoos all over his body and a ponytail. Now, I'm not exaggerating. I'm just blowing it up so you can see it. Now, Re Rebecca, on the other hand, favored Jacob. <laughs> he was a mama's boy. <laughs> he was a thinker and a planner. He was a strategist and a schemer. He was a good cook, and he spent a lot of time in mama's kitchen. Jacob always stayed home. He didn't go out and hunt and fish and do all those kinds of good things. <laughs> he stayed home. And that is why he found himself at the right place at the right time, <laughs> as we will see later on. See, the vast difference between those two boys could have led to the sin of favoritism on the part of Isaac and Rebekah. And I keep saying it is a sin. And I'm going to explain in a minute. Verse 28. Beloved, this verse is a warning to all of us. It's a warning to all of us. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, favored Esau, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, I'm aware of the fact, and as I see not only in my life and life of other parents, that there are times in the life of parents when they are relating more to one uh, uh, than the other in growing up and in different stages, too, because that relating changes with the change stages of life. But this is very different from blatant favoritism. You heard me say it for the second time, third time, favoritism, blatant favoritism is a sin and needs to be repented of. But even so, there are times, because of that relating situation, that you find one sibling might feel that you're favoring the other, and they may accuse you of it. But you do that business with you and God in your heart. But I also believe that this is why parents need to really work hard at doubling their effort to show even-handedness. They need to double their energy in showing 
even-handedness. They need to double their affections uh, in order to show even-handedness. And yes, they need to double their time investment in order to show even-handedness. But let me venture to say again that blatant favoritism is a sin that needs to be repented of and be repented of today. It could be the thing that's holding and hindering God's blessing in your life and in the family life. But there's a deeper problem here. I'm taking you slowly into this. There is a deeper problem between Isaac and Rebekah. Listen carefully, please. There is an element of distrust between the husband and the wife. And you see it there clearly. You say, well, how, why else Rebecca was listening through the keyhole to the conversation that Isaac was having with Esau? And that is why the title of the series of messages, Fear Deceives, But Grace Will Set You Free. Hear me right, please. Because on a deeper level, this is a spiritual problem. It really is. Uh, the conflict between Esau and Rebecca is really more of a spiritual failure than anything else. Rebecca was right in clinging to the promise of God by focusing on Jacob, but she went about it in a deceitful way. Isaac's willful rejection of God's revelation brought him a lot of heartache. You'll see later on in the next series of, in the next message that he trembled when he realized that he was going against God's revelation. Beloved, the trust between Isaac and his wife Rebekah spilled over on the children and brought distrust between the twin boys. Listen, it is vitally important. I, I want to say it to you because I have experienced it firsthand. When I know without a shadow of doubt that God is calling me to do something, but I did not wait for God's timing, and I tried to beat the door that was closed, beat it down, I found a lot of heartache and pain. God's timing. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God's timing is always perfect. Look at Moses. He knew most assuredly that God is calling him to set his people free from the slavery of Egypt. So what does he do? He takes things into his own hand. He said, walk out, and then he goes and kills the Egyptian. It's not time, God's timing yet. It is God's call, but it's not God's timing. Took the matters into his own hands. And then he had to spend 40 years in the land of Midian until he realized that he must trust in God's timing. But thank God, in both and in all circumstances, thank God for his overruling grace. I want to repeat this. Thank God for his overruling grace. Can you say that with me? Thank God. Fear will always deceive, oh, but grace will set you free. It will free you up. Grace will free 
your soul. Grace will free your spirit. Grace will free your mind. And yes, grace will free your heart. You'll see this in this series again and again and again and again. And to make things worse, Esau's impetuousness led him to devalue his birthright. And so he sold it, sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for about a buck worth of soup. Let me ask you this. How many of you know an Esau? Those who have created shipwreck of their lives and of their reputation, all for the sake of instant gratification. But listen carefully. But for the grace of God, there go I. For a momentary satisfaction, Esau's life became a shipwreck. Jacob, on the other hand, <laughs> was not blameless. He was not blameless. Had he trusted God, had he trusted in God's promise to his mommy, had he trusted God's timing, well, I keep repeating this, the results would have been very different. But once again, thank God for his overruling grace. Let's say it again. Thank God for his overruling grace. You might never know. I think most of you want how much I'm preaching out of my own experience, how much I'm testifying to the Word of God. Listen, there are very, very, very few of us who can really have the long view of things, very few. We often jump to conclusions based on current circumstances and make the wrong decisions. I'm not going to ask you to give me an amen, <laughs> but I'll say it for all of us. Amen. But once again, thank God for His overruling grace. Let's say it again. Thank God. The thing about our God is this. You see, He sees the beginning and He sees the end all at the same time. He sees the unseen. He sees what's around the corner, which we can't see. He sees what's in our blind side. And that is why my daily cry to the Lord, and, you, and several times a day, and you can join me in that prayer if the Lord lays it on your heart, is my daily several times a day, Lord, permit me not to make a choice that is inconsistent with your perfect will in my life. Beloved, taking matters into our own hands may make us feel that we're doing something. You know, we're just busy. We're doing something. We're busy doing something. But it causes a whole lot of pain in the long run. Let me conclude by telling you another testimony of my growing up years. The church that my father belonged to, that I was a young man growing up in, taught 
You must never mention the sovereign grace of God. We know it's there, but don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. I remember asking one of the leaders one time, why, why, why you don't talk about grace? It's, 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 it's in the Bible. He said, because people would just sin, and uh, they would say, well, the grace will cover it, and they become carnal Christians. But you know what it did for me? It led me to live those early years of my Christian life in utter fear. Utter fear. I thought every time I failed, God is going to whack me so hard. Fear. Now, I fear the Lord. That is, I revere Him. And that's different from being terrified of Him. Did you get that? But when I began to understand the Word of God, when I began to understand the plan of God for salvation, when I began to understand and discover the incredible, incredible, indescribable grace of God, the sovereign grace of God, it became the most freeing yet humbling truth. That only set me free, but it took me to my knees. Grace sets you free from sin and leads you to obedience. How? Grace will cause you to see obedience, not as a duty, not as an obligation, not as something you're going to grit your teeth and say, I've got to obey God, I've got to obey God, and you keep failing, and you say, oh, I've got to obey God, I'm sorry, God, I didn't obey you. It's not supposed to be that way. That's an error. But obedience comes naturally out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving for the sovereign grace of God. At that moment, obedience becomes a delight and a joy. It becomes natural, becomes second nature. To know that I am redeemed by God's sovereign grace and nothing I could have done that would have helped in any way drove me to my knees and continues to drive me to my knees to this day. I pray to God will keep putting me on my knees until I see Jesus face to face. Regardless of the circumstances, the knees of thankfulness, the knees of gratitude, the knees of joyful obedience will fill your heart and my heart with the joy of the Lord. Like the song we just sang earlier today, you see the depths of my heart, and you love me the same. This is an amazing God. Who could not be moved by such love? Who would not want to love and obey such a loving God? who's out of sovereign grace, brought us to himself and sustains us until we see him. And maybe actually 
from all this stuff is going on, maybe sooner than we think. Everyone, whether you're here or watching around the world, I am praying, have prayed all week, that this, maybe for some it's the first time, for others we renewal, begin to develop such gratitude, such thankfulness to God, that you could not help it but want to obey Him. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? God, I know your people heard me many times that the one thing that breaks me publicly, unashamedly, is the subject of your grace. And Father, I pray that from this ancient life that was lived many years ago, that we will see your hand. You placed it in your word, in the Scripture, for our edification, for our encouragement. Even those who say the law is in the Old Testament, grace in the New Testament, we see here before the law was ever given how your grace worked not only in Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah, but even in Jacob and even Esau. Father God, I pray for every precious brother and sisters, people who are here, people around, I pray, I intercede on my own behalf and their behalf that you would not permit us to leave this place in the same way we came in, that we walk out of here on cloud nine rejoicing in thanksgiving for your sovereign grace, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.